Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Academic Dean is sponsored by Myers-McRae Executive Search and Consulting. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gercek. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Suzanne Ames to our show. Dr. Ames is the president of Peninsula College in Port Angeles, Washington. Hi, Susie. I'm so glad to have you on our show today. So great to be here, Dave. Thanks for having me. So first, tell me about your college and why students select your institution. Yeah, so Peninsula College is the only college in our very remote area on the peninsula. For those of you who don't know, if you look at the map of the United States, we are the furthest, most northwest point you can get in the country. Um, and I can see Canada from, I can see Victoria, BC from my office. So we're just tucked away in this tiny corner. So my college is the only college in the region. Um, so we are offering the comprehensive suite of everything a community college does. Uh, the ability to get your uh, transfer degree and go into a university, the ability to get trained for a job right here on the peninsula, um, transitional studies if you need a GED or high school diploma, and then a full suite of continuing education as well. So we're very much a comprehensive community college. Sure sounds like it. So what's new on campus? Then you have any new programs or or buildings or anything happening? Yeah, so um, so I started here as president one year ago and I inherited a college that's been experiencing an enrollment decline for 10 years straight. So when I arrived, um, there was a real sense of urgency that we had to turn around that uh, trend and grow and serve our community. So we're actually starting nine new instructional programs this fall. And I always, people who don't work in higher ed, I feel like nobody does nine programs in one year. You might do one or two, but we're doing nine. Um, and there's just so much um, pent up demand in our local economy that we're just really thrilled to be able to offer these job training programs at the associate and bachelor's levels that are going to serve our local employers. We also uh, doubled our enrollment in transitional studies this past year. Those are students getting GED and English language acquisition. So we're working really hard to then get them into these college level programs so they can continue on their economic prosperity path. Yeah, I would say doing night, it, it would take, of course, I was an embedded to your college in a, at a university, but it would basically take two years to go through the process of getting and you thought you were on the fast track if it was like in a year so that's that's really impressive i think that's the norm my previous institution i had a track record for doing this as well similar situation a long slide of enrollment and new programs are the thing that not only bring new students in for those programs but then you also get a buzz in the community that the college is doing cool stuff so they look at us and they find a program that maybe we've had for 10 years but now all of a sudden it's on their radar yeah it is funny where people 
the community always is funny is that they they think they know what's going on in the college, but as soon as something new happens, they re-engage and then their first thing is, I didn't know you guys didn't. <laughs> yeah, so. it's so true. And we're very rural. Um, and uh the word of mouth is is a real thing. So we're definitely feeling the buzz in the community. People are constantly coming up to me saying, You guys are doing new and great things and yeah, we are, and we really are thrilled to be able to serve the needs of the community. And we've we've always done these cool things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what are your top priorities and initiatives at the college that you're trying to focus to enhance the educational experience for your students? So uh, the first one is to try to crack the nut of uh, very cynical young adults who um, are questioning the value of higher education. It's been written about ad nauseum. It's a trend across the country. COVID just threw lighter fluid on this trend. Um, so what we're trying to do with many of these new programs that we're starting is a, is a technical term. We're chunking up the curriculum into short stackable certificates. So the idea that we might be able to tell a 19 year old, come to the college and take two quarters of an electric vehicle auto repair program and there's a job waiting for you and then and the employers have created this curriculum they they've told us there's jobs at the end of that two quarters my hope is then those students will get hired and then their employer will continue to send them back for quarter after quarter short certificate after short certificate and then kind of before you know it they've earned an associate's degree I think that's the wave of the future. I think that selling a student on a two-year degree is going to be a tougher and tougher sell for students who were raised with instant gratification and uh, getting all their answers on YouTube. <laughs> so yeah. I think we have to adapt our the way we package our programs to make it more enticing and not as intimidating for them to start. Yeah, you know, I'm always afraid to say this, but COVID fixed some of the stuff for us because we were really stuck with, you come to school for four years and, th and then after that, and the rest of the world uh, was saying, hey, you know, Amazon's getting ready to launch this thing that in six weeks I can be an IT coder. I mean, I don't know, but those kind of, yes. those little tracks that they could get on and finally getting, I, I love that idea. Finally, you truly are, even though universities and colleges have always said lifelong learning, you really are going to be a lifelong learning institute. Come, get your stuff, come back, come back, come. I mean, that's just how that's right. it really should be. But for some silly reason, it never happened for all those years. Well, you're absolutely right. And COVID also changed the mindset of employers. So with this dearth of people in, in, in the workforce right now, employers have become desperate to hire people. So they're lowering their standards. So for example, one of the new programs we're starting is natural resources, forestry and fisheries specifically, uh, which is true to this region that we're in. Uh, that industry used to be very uh, focused on um, higher education credentials. You really needed a master's degree before someone would talk to, would talk to you to get into an environmental science or natural resources field. We put together a, t a team of industry advisory committees. They developed this new curriculum. The first job is after one year, a three-quarter short wow. certificate. So they're, uh, these young, cynical students 
are coming right at the same time as employers are willing to hire people with less credentials. So I think it's actually going to work out for the young folks that they are going to be able to prove themselves and get on the job learning. And then their employers probably are going to pay their tuition to keep <laughs> on coming back because that's, we're pennies on the dollar to the right. investment. So, that's right. and if we can offer these classes evenings and weekends or even at the employer site, I think it's really going to be a game changer for, um, livable wages in this rural economically depressed area. Yeah. I I've had those conversations where, you know, if you come and get your two year RN and get hired, somebody's going to pay for your BSN. You don't have to do everything up front. Uh, but it's, it, their mindset, it's, it's the younger generation, I shouldn't say younger generation, but it's a new set of students coming out of COVID that's basically saying, you know, what's my return on investment? And we, yeah, colleges really have to do something to prove that instead of education is good. Yeah, <laughs> I th we've gotten a free ride for a long time yeah. without oh. making the, the generic two-year transfer degree tangible. And uh, students aren't buying it anymore. And, you know, I was a community college transfer student. I got my gen eds and transferred to a university. Um, but there has to be something tangible. And I think we we need to do a better job even making our two-year transfer degrees more relevant. Yeah. Well, here's a good question. How has your campus adapted to the changing landscape of higher ed since we're talking about that right now? Yeah, I think we're really focused on being relevant, um, whether that's, uh, as I talked about, these workforce job training programs that meet needs in the local community. And then on the gen ed side, how do we how do we bring what used to just be a collection of classes and how do we put them in groups so that uh, students can see that they're are marketable skills that you're learning all along the way. And maybe that means merging some technical programs with gen ed programs and, and, and contextualize them so that they see that they're more relevant. I think the more we can contextualize any class, whether it's stats or, you know, uh, English 101, students are going to see that there's, uh, it's not just more book learning like they had in high school. All right. Yeah, it's always good when they connect. I actually need this to to move forward instead of just checking something out of a box to be done with it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let me switch back. We're going to change topics real fast. I want to talk about you for a second. So how long have you been the president there at the college? One year. Just finished my One first year. One year. So with that, why don't you tell me a little bit about the path that you took to get you to be the president of Peninsula I College? I took a very long circuitous route to get here, but it was a very deliberate long route. So I actually started out as a journalist for the first five years of my career and quickly found that that wasn't the right track for me because uh, journalists have to be on the outside observing. And I every story I did, I always wanted to be on the inside trying to help solve a problem. So I pretty quickly learned that I needed to get into public relations to be on the inside of an organization. Um, when you do that, it's called going to the dark side. Uh, when you yes. do journalism and go to PR. Um, so I knew to go to the dark side, I was going to have to work for some kind of industry where I could sell my soul. And that was going to be education, the environment, or healthcare. 
I happened to land my first job in PR doing marketing communications for our local community college. Again, I'd gone to a community college, but never thought about working for one. I was just a pathway to get my journalism degree. Um, quickly fell in love with the mission of community colleges and saw it from a very different light from a student perspective and now um, as an administrator um, and pretty quickly decided that that's where I wanted to spend my career. So I worked in marketing and communications for community colleges for many years, um, going to different colleges, uh, adding fundraising to my um, toolbox, worked at the state level and advocated for all 34 community colleges in Washington state. Um, and and decided that eventually I wanted to be a college president, but I wanted to be a college president that was steeped in the mission of our work and coming. I wanted to come from instruction. I wanted to be an instruction focused community college president. I had no business getting into instruction at that time. I hadn't taught. I didn't have my doctorate. I was had only worked in advancement. Um, so I took a, a $30,000 pay cut, moved my husband against his will, um, became a, went from a VP of advancement to a director of institutional planning and effectiveness. And that went, so I basically went from like a 60 hour week job to a 35 hour week job, which gave me the capacity to teach and get my doctorate, which I did in a very short amount of time. Uh, and I, that job also gave me connections with faculty, assessing learning outcomes, um, and kind of building a very basic level that would prepare me to go into instruction. Um, went to a different college, was successfully hired as a dean of instruction. And then like that, so then I'm in, right? And I'm loving the job. I knew I wanted to be in instruction, but I didn't realize how much I was going to love it. Mm -hmm. um, so I spent uh, two years in that job. And then I was promoted at the same college to be associate vice president of instruction. Um, had one year at that job and then was super fortunate to stay at the same college and get promoted to vice president of instruction. Um, and then shortly after COVID hit, so um, I was a VPI for a little bit longer than I probably would have had the pandemic not hit. But all in all, I had seven years in instruction at one institution, and it was really the highlight of my career. And uh, it fully prepared me for this college presidency. So, you know, there's lots of different routes to be a college president. For me, I knew I wanted the long, slow route in instruction so that I would feel uber prepared once I got into the seat. And sure. for me, for me, it paid off. Sure. That makes sense. Uh, so you've been there for a year. What's been some of the biggest lessons you've learned so far as a president? Yeah, there's, the, I shared with the college community um, this past spring as we were wrapping up the year, I had a celebration. Um, I had actually wanted to be president of this particular college for 10 years, had my sights on it. And, you know, lots of stars and moons have to align for that to happen. And so you imagine over the years, I had a pretty good picture of what that experience was going to be like. But what I hadn't taken into account was the importance of compatibility, that my skills, my vision, my personality was what the college community needed. And it's a pretty magical time at the life of the college right now, because it's just a really beautiful marriage. And I just can't overestimate the impact that that's had on my ability to move the college so forward forward so quickly because um, we're just we're just 
like kind of two peas in a pod between the college and, and their new president. So it's a happy time. And uh, I, I for, as folks, if, you, if folks are looking for a presidency, it's, I would encourage them to wait for the right one. Wait for the one that feels like it's the right fit because it's not worth it if it's a mismatch of your skill set or your vision because you're just going to beat your head against a wall. That's that's an excellent point. I've seen that so many times. The the person before at another college was perfect was a perfect fit, but then when they yeah. go to another institution it changes and they yeah. they can't figure out why. It is it is a cultural fit almost to blend the faculty and the staff and the students and the administration kind of together. Yeah, every college is different. Every yeah. college has their own culture and every leader has their own style yep. and it really needs to meld. Yeah, good point. Uh, well, with the rising cost of education, what's your college doing to make education more accessible and affordable? Yeah. So like every college, we um, give away a lot of money for scholarships. Um, there In Washington State, though, there is an interesting phenomenon. We are 49th out of 50th in FAFSA completion. Um yeah, so it's a problem, and our legislature is trying to solve it. So, um, and and my county and my neighboring county are the two lowest in the state. So we're the bottom of the bottom in FAFSA completion. So the legislature gave us funding for three people to be spend their full time out in the community helping mm -hmm. high school students fill the fill out the FAFSA, and then they gave us money to partner with the United Way for a fourth person who's located in a local library to help adults fill out the FAFSA. So four people in a tiny, tiny two county region just focused on getting people with their FAFSA completion. So this is a brand new effort for us. It just started oh, okay. mid, mid last year. So this fall will be the first time we'll be seeing if it's paid off with yeah. more high school, more high school students and more adults coming to us yeah. with their FAFSA. Because, oh, you know, the FAFSA is such a deal breaker. I mean, if you're low income and you haven't filled out that arduous form, you're stuck. Yeah. So really trying to hold people's hand to get through over that barrier. Yeah, I I can't imagine your your outcome's not going to be good with that. Right. They, they just need people to help them fill out the stuff. That's absolutely just what they need. So it sounds like you're hitting that right on, hitting the target right right where it should be. So I totally agree. It yeah, it's um it's going to be exciting to see, and it's going to be a game changer for low income folks. So for them to see that we really do have a ton of money to give them, from the Pell Grant to our Washington State opportunity scholarship to local scholarships. There's a, there's a ton of money out there to pay for college. Isn't that crazy that, I mean, I, I know, you know, but so many people don't know. And it's like the parents don't know. Nobody realizes there's this cash that's just sitting on a shelf and nobody's asking for it. And people are begging, please use it. And they don't. I know there's a lot of myths out there perpetuated by I don't know, social media, who knows, but just that college is expensive. And yeah, there's a lot of universities that are insanely expensive, but community colleges aren't it. Right. <laughs> we're That's all, right. we're all relatively cheap across the entire country. Yep. And, uh, you know, in Washington state, it's six, about $6,000 for a whole year. 
that's you know without scholarships and there's so much aid to bring that down to zero on top of transportation funds child care funds rent <laughs> you know so the more we can make that aware and accessible to people who are first generation college students and haven't experienced it the more we're going to be able to change their lives yeah good point uh well with the success of lifelong learning and continuing ed what type of opportunities are you guys offering for personal and professional growth? Yeah, I'm super proud of our continuing ed education program. Uh, we went on hiatus for several years and it came back a year before I started and they are just going gangbusters. So we're offering uh, commercial truck driving and we have a scholarship for that. So it's an absolutely free program. Um, we're doing project management classes and grant writing classes, uh, trying to help current workers um, hone in some skills. And then we're also doing, you know, fun artistic pro uh, classes like weaving and beading. And we have, um, in our area, we have six federally recognized tribes. And so some of those tribal community members are teaching the classes, which is really great to pass on that knowledge. It's always fun when you have a, a, an expert from the community come in and teach some of the classes they are always neat to watch. Yeah, it's been really great to see the support for our continuing education. It's I'm filling an important need in our community because they're we're trying to do as many face to face as we can. So it and it, so we are really the only place you could get such an opportunity like this right here in this rural area. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, community colleges that's hands on education. They students love that stuff. So yeah, I agree. Um, can you highlight any unique or innovative programs? Or, or a, basically, maybe even a different approach of uh, that would distinguish your college from other institutions. Yeah, there's a new one that we got off the ground this year that I'm super proud of. So, um, as you know, every college has at-risk students, and every college has a community filled with nonprofits and community-based organizations that can help at-risk students. Uh, but this year, what I did was convened a group of all of those community leaders and more than 20 different organizations came and I and I laid out a, a case for them basically that our at-risk students are your clients and if you can serve them on my campus we're going to increase the likelihood they're going to get the services that they need and stay in school and graduate and no longer need those services of that community-based organization and then that gives that organization the capacity to go help residents in our community who haven't yet made it to either them or the college. Every single organization in that room said yes. So now more than 20 nonprofits and community-based organizations are here on my campus in a, in a center um, of a calendar. So the housing specialist is here every Friday. The behavioral health specialist is here every Thursday. The um, the support for things like domestic violence and um, all the things that can come with being low income um, financial supports is here every Wednesday. Um, we got a grant with our local health clinic and now their mobile van is here once a week with a doctor and a nurse and a behavioral health specialist. So all of this is brand new. It just got off the ground this spring. And I'm I'm really thrilled with the idea that we can meet students where they're at. And, you know, like you, I've been in higher ed for a long time. And we used to say, 
go get your life in order and then come to college. And, and fortunately, when we put equity at the forefront, we say, come to college and we're going to help you with all the other stuff too, because college is going to be one of those pieces of, of the puzzle that's going to get you out of that cycle. So if we can give them that support while they're here on campus, they've already figured out how to make it into college. <laughs> that's half the battle, right? Yeah. So let's get them food and housing and financial support um, so that they can graduate and uh, truly change the trajectory of their life. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, in what ways is your college collaborating with uh, local businesses to create mutually beneficial relationships to maybe address regional challenges? So in these nine new instructional programs that I mentioned, unfortunately, the state of Washington does not give colleges money to start new programs. Um, some states do have a fund specifically to help colleges meet workforce needs, but we don't have such a thing in Washington. So I had to go out to our local employers to fundraise for startup funds. So it's been um, it's been great. Our local employers are seeing the personal benefit that they're going to get by giving the college money to start new programs. So we are able to start a natural resources program. Um, electric vehicle auto repair program, all with support from our local workforce, um, our local employers. Uh, we're also writing grants and you know the traditional stuff, but it's really a homegrown solution to meet the needs of our employers and they've been very generous. So so what are just give me a better example. What are those nine programs then that the community are looking for? Yeah, so the two I mentioned are electric vehicles and natural resources. We're doing a virtual office assistant, um, and we're also partnering with our local new theater to do a media technician. Um, and then in Washington State, community colleges are allowed to do bachelor's degrees. Oh. So we've, at my college, we've had the bachelor's in applied management for a long time, but we added concentrations to it. It used to just be accounting. Now we're adding HR management, IT management, entrepreneurialism and marketing, and tribal management. And then we're doing a bachelor's in behavioral health as well. Wow. Yeah, those are those are pretty unique to say the least. That's they neat are. that the community stepped in and yeah. wanted assistance with that. That's very cool. Yeah. Sounds and they're like you, all, and enrollment is um, filling, they're filling for yeah, fall quarter. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like you got a good relationship with the community. It sounds like you got to understand what, what they want and they understand what you can do. So that's pretty, that's half the battle to say the least. Absolutely. Um, well, with the rise of alternative credentialing, how do you see these micro credentials impacting the future of higher ed? Because you know, what's funny is, I remember when they first came out, people weren't thrilled about that term. They were trying to make it like you were trying to water down education or something. So how do you fix that? And uh, what are you guys doing? Yeah, I remember that time as well. Um, well, the our short certificates are micro-credentials and they are the future of higher education. As we talked about earlier, I think they are the reason... Um, that we're going to get folks to agree that higher education is for them and, and employers are coming along. You know, I think one of the problems when micro credentials first came out was 
we really didn't have them steeped in connections to jobs and employers weren't necessarily signing on to them. You know, this whole concept of badging, I don't know where that idea got started, but I didn't hear one employer talking about badging. It all came from education yeah, folks. Yeah, and we yeah. we can't drive that train. Right. Employers have to drive the train and the identification of credentials. So I think now post-COVID and with employers being as desperate as they are, they're getting they they won't they're not calling it micro credentialing but they're lowering their standards and if they can work closely with the college to figure out what are the most essential um, skills and training that you need um, to just get your foot in the door um, you know a lot of employers we hear these days are so desperate they'll take someone that just shows up to work on time every day and they can right. train the rest they can train the rest that that wasn't a story you heard you know, five or 10 years ago. Um, and so I think micro-credentialing is going to get a second rebirth and, and is getting a second rebirth with, uh, because employers are, are so desperate. So they're willing to hire someone with um, some skills, even though they might not have been the full package that they had expected several years ago. So how do you how do you engage with the community then? In other words, do you use advisory boards? Do you how does all that work for you to 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 kind of keep your pulse on the community like this? Yeah, every um, job training program that we have has an industry advisory committee. So they design the curriculum. They tell us where the uh, break points are for this credential or that credential. Where the jobs. Um, whether it's two quarters or three quarters or six quarters, that's all driven by them. Um, and then once the program's up and running, they still continue to meet regularly throughout the year to assess our curriculum, uh, to make sure that we're staying relevant as their industry changes. We need to adapt. Um, they, If it's a hands-on program, they'll make sure that our equipment is still staying relevant. Um, so without them, we we couldn't do it. It would just be a bunch of academics talking to each other. So um, it really has to be um, led with industry at the forefront. Um, and in a small town, this is really doable um, because we're the only college and we're, so we're the only game. So if they need a local workforce to be trained, they're going to oh. come here. So I'm out and about in the community a lot. Um, and even if one person comes to me and says, hey, we need a new program and blah, 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 then I turn it over to our amazing instructional team. And then they start doing the research and they'll pull other employers and ask them. They'll look at the um, employment security data to show what the job trends are. That's how all of these um, new programs have come about is even one or two employer is telling us they need a program and then we go off and research it. And if it looks like it's viable, then we pull all those employer stakeholders together from across the industry and really start diving into what it might look like. Um, one, we're working on a couple now for next year, uh, marine manufacturing, um, dental hygiene, um, some uh, bachelor's degree in computer science. Oh. Um, and so those are all, again, driven by advisory committee members telling us they need local folks to hire. Wow. Good for you guys. Well, here's my last question. What advice would you give to prospective students and their families when they're trying to choose the right college or university 
for their education and their future goals? I think it's really important for students and families to have a clear picture of what you're hoping to get out of your college experience. Um, and also recognize, particularly at the four-year level, um, it's a sales job. <laughs> when you go on those recruiting visits, um, they're very much putting their best foot forward. Um, I always tell the story when I was young and I toured University of Oregon when I was in 18 year old um, to consider going there. Um, and they told me, um, you don't need a car. But what they actually meant was there's no parking, <laughs> but you do need a car. Right. <laughs> but they, they you just say they don't need it. <laughs> and so you really have to pull back the curtain to see, like, look at a bus route, look at, um, look at the one ads, where are the jobs? If you know you want to get a part-time job, can you are they there? Can you get to one on the bus? Like you just have to get really granular and not get um, sucked into the lure of this beautiful campus. At the end of the day, you're paying a whole lot of money to um, to go to college and you have to live your life at the same time. So you need to make sure that all of your needs are going to be all met. Can you afford housing? Um, and then I think from the community college perspective, you know, if your goal is to transfer, the earlier you can identify which university you want to transfer to and talk to advisors at your future university. So you make sure that the classes that you're taking at community college are going to transfer. Um, it's not hard. I did it. I spent a lot of time talking to my university um advisor and so I made sure every single class I took was going to transfer. Um, it, it shouldn't have to be that hard. It's still work we have to do on the community college level to, to make advising more transparent to students. It's getting better than it used to be, but it still takes work on the part of the student to make sure that they're not wasting their time taking classes that aren't going to transfer if they know that's their goal. And every university is different on what they're going to accept. So it, it the community college transfer mission works, but it's it's not, um, some states are better than other, but it's not as streamlined as we need it to be. Washington State happens to be one of the national leaders in a direct transfer agreement with our universities. And even it sometimes has students fall through the cracks but I think it's a uh, it's still the best deal around to get uh you know low cost small classes with faculty who are there because they want to teach um, and you can get a really phenomenal freshman and sophomore experience that prepares you well to go to a community college or to to go to a, a university after the community college so true. So true. Well, Susie, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it as well. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Academic Dean is sponsored by Myers McRae Executive Search and Consulting. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time.